Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Bible. Wait, what? Hey, my name's Rowan. I'm sitting down with Simon, first time interviewer mm-hmm. today. Simon Perini, great friend at C3 Thrill. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an uh, honor. It's a, you're a theology man, mate. You're studying Bible college? Yeah, well, I've started studying. Started studying. Yeah, Bible one college. semester in. So. Yeah. And you're also, you know, you've been doing Christian ministry kind of stuff for a long time, haven't you? You've been, yeah. Spent time at LL with your amazing wife, Jazz. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's probably about it. That's probably about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I've done other things. Oh, you've done, you've other done plenty of other things too. Yeah. yeah. And he just told me beforehand that uh, he talks to his wife about theology 24-7. Yeah, I have to ask permission to talk to her. Is that right? Yeah, because I do. Um, it's, I think it's always swirling around in my head and my heart. And so um, I just want to kind of share it. And for her, it's like, I'm trying to get dinner ready. <laughs> and uh, yeah, can you do that after I finish the vacuuming? Well, you know. Yeah, well, I know. Not that she vacuums and does all the dinner like she does all the things too. One of the things I've loved about this podcast is I spend so much time in my own head with my theology too. Even if it's just listening to podcasts and studying myself, I'm really enjoying um, talking it through at this level with people because I'm learning so much myself from hearing different perspectives and going, wow, I've never thought of that. Mm. So, Yeah, yeah, totally. Looking forward to uh, what gold nuggets you've come mm. up with today or what questions you've got, curly, complicated questions yeah. you've got for us? Well, I think if you read any of these texts, it's kind of like there's going to be curly, complicated questions. Yeah, there's some good stuff so. um, in these passages. We're talking about the Father mm-hmm. and we're in a series on the Father and uh, we're talking today a lot about the, the, the overarching topic. It won't necessarily be there in, in every passage, although... It does come through in a lot of these chapters is the concept of our Father is gracious, mm. that the Lord is gracious towards us, and what that means. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick off with Psalm one hundred and twenty one. Yep, bring it on. Mm. 
Yeah, so I think, um, you know, obviously there it's, it kicks off with this idea of lifting. Uh, it says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I was probably going to think, I was just, what was the significance of mountains? Mm. Um, obviously for a an ancient, um, you know, person, the idea of mountains may be, something of shelter yep but also maybe something that's daunting and and bigger than they are i don't i don't know have you have you had any yeah both around? both of those actually that's good mm. thoughts yeah definitely mountains you think mountains are safety like you say mm. shelter mm. safety from the enemy if you've got the the high ground you know mm. even that term comes across into our into our vernacular yeah. as the moral high ground or whatever it means that that place of ascendancy so mm. if you've got the high ground it becomes a place of safety so there is a sense in which you go up mm that you're in a place of safety. Mm. So I guess the psalmist is saying, do I look to the mountains? Because do they make, is being up the mountain what makes me safe? Cool. Um, or is it something else or is it mm. someone else? So that's part, that's the first thing I'd say about the mountains. The second thing I'd say about the the highest mountains was that's where, um, that's where the, that's the realm of the gods. Mm. To mm. an ancient culture with no ability to fly, with no ability to, um, to, uh, you know, easily engineer a road up a mountain, yep. they would go up and to mountains and it was often seen as the closest place to heaven. Yeah, so yep. if you just put yourself in an ancient Near East thought, and even the, even the Greek gods that so go mm. forward, basically any time prior to, prior to the Middle Ages, really, um, definitely throughout all ancient religions, there's been a concept of the mountains being the place where the gods, it's close to heaven, let's mm. put it that way, in that mm. sense. So that's that, that comes through in their psyche a little bit. So um, I think both of those are valid yeah. that you mentioned are both valid explanations for mountains. Yeah, and interesting too, obviously makes me think of, um, you know, Moses going to meet the Lord. Yeah, Mount you know, Sinai. Mount Sinai. Yeah. And then um, is the Mount of Olives, was that a big mountain? Uh, that's not a big mountain. No, no. But it's still. No, it's still, it's just, it, it's probably, it's one of the highest places in in Jerusalem. Mm. It's it's just slightly higher than the temple, but um, than the, the mountain right across the valley, the mm. temple. But yes, they went up to Jerusalem, which is what these songs of ascents are about. Yeah. These Psalm 121 through to 134, we're going to mm. do several of them today, mm. are all about, um, uh, are called the songs of ascent. We've talked about this in different podcasts with different guests. That they, they are singing these songs as they ascend up yep. to worship God. Mm. As they come up from the lowlands, they would be heading up into the hills to Jerusalem. So they, they're ascending. Mm. And then when they actually get to the temple, I mean, Jeff pulled up this, this, and I've heard it before too, in one of the podcasts that there's like a certain number of steps, 15 yeah, steps up that, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they would ascend, one, they would do like one psalm per thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's that sense of we're going up. Mm. So cool. it starts with this thing of, well, where, are, where's, where is it? Is it the mountains that comes from my help? Mm. I guess the implication from verse two, no, nah, it's not the mountains. It's, mm. it's the Lord. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, and so then I think um, the other thing that stood out to me reading down um, was uh, when we get to verse 7, the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. And so I think one question that pops out to me there is, well, what about those that haven't felt mm. protected? What about those that have felt harm? Yeah. Um, how do we sort of take what he's saying here and apply it to – people's lives what, what's your great on question that? great question well i think that <laughs> i don't have a one size fits all answer that's moving into the realm of the questions of suffering mm. and all that but that is a really well thought out question because mm. anyone reading that at face value will will go well that doesn't work for me so therefore mm. i have to throw the whole thing out because mm. i 
God hasn't protected me from harm or sure. whatever the case might be. I've been through bad things, so how can this scripture work for me? So I think helping people understand the nuance of the Bible mm. um, and the way language is written. Mm. This is a poetic psalm. Mm. This is going to use generalizations. This yes. is going to use um, hyperbole, hyperbole yeah. and to, to make a point. Mm. And we all do that yeah. in our everyday vernacular, but it's instinctively when I'm talking in a conversation with you over coffee, mm. you it almost intuitively know, if I use For hyperbole, sure. you just know it yeah. because you understand the culture we're yeah. in. But we don't do that with the Bible. We come to it, we read it as a single layer. Mm. And mm. that's where the that's where the danger comes because we go, oh, well, the Lord says that nothing will harm me, so nothing harms me. That's I think I think we have to see it as an overalling, overarching principle. Yeah. Um, and and also too, it comes down to I guess, what does it mean that he, he protects us from all harm? Mm. Because you know, there is a promise. The scriptures fulfill that in the end, mm-hmm. he will wipe away every tear. So there's a, a forward projection mm. of the Lord. I think this is personally, I would see this as not a 100% watertight <laughs> sign, sealed, delivered deal. Mm. But I think there's that principle that the Lord, I can trust that the Lord is my helper. Yeah. That I can look to him and not to the mountains. I don't have to look to the politicians. I don't have to look to my bank balance or, or, or any other person that I've placed them in that position, I can mm. I can trust that the Lord is watching over me and that he is protecting me. And even though I may go through harm, ultimately any harm that I go through or I'm allowed to experience mm. can be redeemed by God mm. for good. Yeah, Joseph would be a good example. I mean, the, the Joseph of the book of Genesis, he can't read this because he went through tremendous harm. Mm. I mean, he was it went from, what, robbed by his brothers, thrown in a ditch, became a, you know, mm end up in the deepest, darkest dungeon. Don't tell me he didn't have harm, mm. but yet God redeemed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably just as you're talking, one thought that comes to me is, for example, being a dad, you know, with um, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, we go to give them their flu shots um, and that's harm. For, yeah. Good, to them. good thought. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, what is the greater good behind all Great. that? Um, and hopefully they know, look, I don't want to give them things that are hurt, that no. hurt or, you know, any, any child that ends up in a hospital that has to have some sort of, um, some kind of medical treatment, medical treatment yeah. that's going to hurt yeah. and, and be an awful experience. Uh, hopefully we get to the point, or at least I get to a point where I'm trusting the, the God behind it all. Amen. <coughs> that's great. Um, yeah. I think Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews, maybe 12, somewhere in Hebrews talks about this principle. It says, It says, no discipline is good for us. Mm. None of us like discipline while we have it. Mm. But in the end, we know discipline Mm. is good for us. It's that same principle. Hardship is actually something that that ultimately can have a redeeming outcome to it. Mm. It, And I think the dependence of the redemption has to do with the fact that can we keep walking with God through that valley of shadow shadow of death, through that hard time and trust that he will Mm. will, um, look after us in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think like even... The other reflection on what you just said was, you know, not just reading all this as a single layer, that whole idea of we just, the temptation just to take a verse out of context yeah. and sort of stake our life on that one verse without looking at the the whole picture and, and um, yeah, Jesus himself suffered harm. Yes, that's so, right. Exactly. Yeah. And he went through that harm and he said to us, really, he says to us, if you're going to follow me, hmm. you're going to take up your yeah. cross and follow yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. So there's going to be a, a willingness to... Yeah to suffer. Woe to you who, sorry, woe to you. Blessed are those who, yeah. you know, are persecuted. That's mm. harm. Yes. 
hundred percent. So yeah, yeah. So I think turning we need to your read other it in this context. Harm. Yeah, turning your other cheek yeah. is, is accepting harm. Exactly, yeah. great thought. Mm. So I think in this context here, we understand the principle behind it rather mm. than the the one size fits all promise. Yeah. And I think some of the some of the um, prophetic stuff, some of the extreme, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of hyper faith stuff has not been shown to be healthy because it's been trying to just take mm. these one size fits all and go, oh, that's it. I'm going to claim that mm. and not look at the overarching story of scripture, which is that God is redemptive and that human life is hard. Mm. Jesus says in John's gospel, in this world, you will face yeah. many hardships, mm. but take heart. I've overcome the world. Mm. So that whole theology of suffering. I mean, when we get to the book of Job at some point this year, we'll, we'll dig into it. It's, it's, it's complex, mm. but I think, that's, it's a really good question. I think as people ask this, they get, I don't want you to be put off by the fact that this is saying the Lord will watch over the Lord will protect you from all harm. I think the point is he's watching over your life. I think that's mm. that's something you can take out of this because that fits with the whole narrative of Scripture. Yeah, where rather than just going, oh, the Lord protects me from all harm, mm. um, he watches over you always. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a great like it. great little psalm there, Psalm one twenty one. Yeah, all right, we'll go on to Psalm one twenty two. So moving to Psalm 122, uh, I think one of the verses that stood out to me was when we get to verse five. Well, just to give it context, Jerusalem, it goes, Jerusalem built as a city should be solidly joined together where the tribes, Yahweh's tribes, go up to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. There thrones for judgment are placed, thrones of the house of David. I was sort of curious about this concept of thrones. Mm. And not one throne, but multiple, multiple thrones. thrones. Um, have you got any insights on that? That's a really good question. <laughs> I was glad when they just came over the, the verse. I was glad when they said to me, it's always good to put it in its context. Yeah, Let sure. us go to the house of the Lord. So they're heading up to the house of the Lord. Mm. And now we're in the gates of Jerusalem. And it's praising the city. It's a well-built city. It's seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of the Lord's people make their pil pilgrimage. The picture is everyone's coming here to worship God. Mm. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, the Lord, and the, as the law requires. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. My first impression there is it's talking not about, th it's not talking about, um, multiple thrones at the one time. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong here. You would have to do some mm. research. And you may have done that. Done that. No. I suspect it's more talking about, it says the thrones of the dynasty yes. of David. So I think it's talking dynastic language. Yep. It's talking about all the way from David and Solomon and mm -hmm. Rehoboam and all the way through the kings mm -hmm. as as probably all of those kings sitting okay. on a throne. So it's yep. it's more that this is the place where historically mm. the king has dwelt yeah, for this hundred years. I think that's how I'd read yep. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably what makes more sense. Probably worth, you know, even the concept of thrones and judgment can be quite confronting to oh, us. Oh, 100%. In, in and that's probably why it stood out to me. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, that makes sense. I think you probably, that well, at least that, yeah, that feels right to me. 
Especially within the context of Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. yeah you're in the city where the kings have lived. So I think it pro- might be worth just spending a moment on on this concept of thrones and judgment mm. because, um, you know, that can sound very harsh and, you know, there's a lot of fear around attending to the king and, you know, mm. even the book of Esther, they couldn't go before the king without permission and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's worth noting that these ancient kings of Israel and Judah were given very strict guidelines as to how they were to rule. Mm. And they were actually supposed to rule very differently to how all the kings around about them rule, where the king was the image of God, the king had absolute Mm. authority, Mm. and basically everybody was at their whim to do whatever they want. Mm. God's plan for these judges is they would judge, it says in in, in the Torah, they would judge with fairness. Mm and moral high ground and mm. they would be um, they would care for the poor they would look out for the underdog yeah um, which is the exact antithesis of what mm. we think when we think of kings we mm. well maybe not so much in the modern era because you know if you think about uh, you know british monarchy we're used to them caring for the poor and that's yes. part of their that mm. that's because it has a christian heritage yeah, yeah. you go back through middle eastern um, sorry, middle, you go through Middle Age mm. Europe, European mid, Dark Ages and Middle Ages, that's not how the kings were. No. They, they actually reverted back to this whole judgment thing and cruel and and and, and taking over. Mm. But God's plan is that the kings would be under shepherds under him yeah. and that they would judge with fairness. Yeah. So this there's a sense in which they're saying, this is the place to be. Compared to all the other kings around, we could come here. Mm. Our king, mm. it might be a bit of a bold statement, but our king is a fair king. Mm. Our king looks out for us. Our king provides for us. Mm. That's um, to the judgment is fair, not some kind of uh, judgment that we should be afraid of. Mm. Unless we've done wrong, of course. Yeah. Do yeah. we know who's written this psalm? Does it say with this one? Uh, this one's David. It says it at the is top. David. Yep. So, so he wrote this one? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's a bit of, I, I'd have to do my fresh research into mm. it. There's a bit, I think there's a bit of thought around when it often says psalm of David, I think about a third to a half of the psalms. Um, say Psalm of David, most of them earlier on, and then a few scattered in here around the Songs of Ascent. So whether they were written by David mm. or whether they were written in the tradition Tom, of Tom David, or okay. more, probably more, it's possible they were written afterwards, mm. but in that tradition of David. Okay. Um, some of them are clearly written by David because Psalm um, 51, where he, David talks about his own sin with Bathsheba yeah. and all that. So that's, that hits clearly his words. Mm. Um, this could be David or it could be a Psalm in the tradition of David, but it's been put together in this format, this mm. songs of ascent, much much later. Right, these songs have been put together. They were probably part of the scripts, the Psalms, the big book of Israel, and then in the post-exilic period, in the four hundred years before Christ, that's when the, our Old Testament mm. formed up in the way it is yeah. now. Yeah, so they would have put it together. Okay, yeah, in that cool. mold, in that mode. Yeah, so he's not just talking about himself necessarily. But no, even the fact that it says the thrones of the dynasty of David, yeah. that kind of makes me think it's been yeah past. It's written yeah. written in the future because yes. it's not written in David's time mm. because he doesn't have a dynasty. He's the he's the top of the dynasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless he's writing it prophetically, yeah, uh, forward. But or could it be coming up towards the the thrones coming up to David? Well, they're all they're, well. There's only one throne before David, so there's King Saul, oh, and right, he's not part of the same dynasty. Yes. So David's only king number two in all of Israel's yeah, history. There's no dynasty, so yeah. there's not really a dynasty. Yeah, the yeah, dynasty comes after subsequently that. Mm. to that. Okay. So you know, at face value, you'd have to read it in different versions, but at face value, I, I'd be quite comfortable with the fact this could have been either written or maybe just like we do with songs, we edit them over time. Mm. It might have been a song that David wrote that then they've added words to yeah. it later on to yeah. fit the context. Yeah. We, we do that with music. We, you know, rebadge music, mm. you know, add new new verses and yeah. that kind of thing. So it could have been like, it yeah. could have been something like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did I have any other thoughts there? Oh, I think verse nine. Yeah, where it says, 
because of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be with you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I think what sort of stood out to me here was, uh, are we seeking good because of the house of the Lord? Or like, I, I probably haven't quite formulated the question in my head that much, but I think there was this sort of like um, tension of, am I only seeking good because of the house of the Lord? Um, as opposed, oh, as opposed to for the family, you mean? Well, no more for seeking seeking good for the person. Okay. So, does that make sense? But maybe I've maybe I've sort of so I've mushed it up a bit. It like rather than seeking your good because I love you as a brother, I'm seeking your good because it's the right thing to do uh, within good. the context of the house of God. Okay. That's, you know, does that yes, make sense? I think so. I think what I'm hearing you say, <laughs> it's actually a really good question. You, be, you explain it back to me. Well, I think what I'm hearing you say is what is our overarching motive yes. for wanting to do good to someone else? Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, and it, is it just because God tells us to, but mm. I really don't like Simon, but mm. I better because I, I'm honoring God by doing that. Yeah. Or is it, is it all for you and it's not for God? Mm. Is that kind of? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's well, kind of, the, I've been dwelling on this very thought because we've got a, um, a series coming up, um, uh, in August mm. on on salvation and sin, and I, I'm going to be preaching on what is sin. And so I've been thinking about this. It's the opposite of what you're saying about doing good. I'm thinking, well, what does it actually mean to sin against someone? What does it mean mm. to sin against God? And it's the same principle. I think what it is, is the reason I want to do good to you mm. is because I want to honor the fact that God has put his image in you. Mm. So when I am honoring you, when I'm doing good to you, I'm honoring the image of God in you. Mm-hmm. And that that then gives you, Simon, immense value and worth. Mm. And therefore I should do good to you. And in doing so, I'm doing good to God. I'm mm. actually honoring God. So my motive for doing it is not – the question, I guess, is how much of it is for God and how much of it is for Simon? Yeah. I actually think that That's God – Yeah, it's both. Yeah. And I don't think God is egotistical. This is the point. I, I think when, when I'm honoring God, it's not like I'm doing it just for him. Mm. I'm actually – I'm actually, he is delighted by the fact that I'm mm. doing it for you. Yeah. Because I'm honoring him by honoring you. For sure. Yeah. Because he's he's chosen to put his image in mm. you. And the same goes the reverse when I sin against you. Mm. So one of the confusing Psalms is, I just mentioned it, Psalm 51. After David has sinned with Bathsheba and mm. committed adultery and then committed murder with Uriah, it says in Psalm 51, it says, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned. Yeah. yeah. And that sounds like. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Yeah. You, Flipping killed a guy. Yeah. That can't be right. Yeah. And I think, so I've had to wrestle with it. And once again, it's Psalms and it's poetic language. But I think what David's wrestling with in his heart is he has sinned against God by sinning, sinning against the image of God mm. in another person. Mm. And I actually think God, because he has so loves us and he's so entrusted us with his value and his image, that I actually reckon it would harm God more mm. for me to harm you mm. than it would for me to ignore him. For sure. Yeah, he might be sad about that because he wants mm. a relationship with me. But what's going to anger him more, what's going to mm. disappoint him more is the fact that I have not mm. recognized the image of God in you. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, I'm still working this yeah, out yeah, in I real think, time. But Yeah. And again, if I take it to the context of being a parent, um, I'm going to be more grieved at my son hitting another kid than him hitting me. Yeah. That's a, well, there you go. Mm. Thank you. That's going to, that's going to, that's a good analogy. <laughs> this is literally a real time thing I'm wrestling with at the moment, yeah. but that's a simple analogy of it. Yeah. 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 Because. Because you can take it. I can take it and God yeah. can take it. And you know it's not good for him yes. and you know it's not good for the other yes. person. That's, yeah. oh, wow, yeah. that's the great and, thought. And in some ways him doing that is not a reflection on hopefully the character that I'm trying to encourage in him. Yes, yeah. And, and develop in him. 
Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, I think that's what. And I think let's so let's read it again. For the sake of my family and friends, mm. I will say, "May you have peace." For the sake of the house of our God, I will seek the best for you, O Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem. Mm. They want the best for this place because this is where God has touched down. This is the touchdown point, mm. and it's good for my when 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 it goes well for Jerusalem, it mm. goes well for my family yeah. and friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, I, I think when it goes well for my family and friends, it goes well for Jerusalem. Yeah, and yeah. I think probably moving ahead, Jesus then. I would have thought, and you can take this wherever you want, but Jesus expands that to not just my brothers and my family, but my enemies. Enemies, yes, that's yeah. right. And the Sermon on the Mount is enemies. exactly. It's mm. love your enemies. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Before we go on, one one thought I just want to pull out really quickly. <clears throat> Verse six. Um, I've had multiple teaching on this over the years, and I've changed my view on this a lot. So mm. it says, "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem." that may all who live in the city prosper. And if you've come, uh, like I had from a, a fairly um, pro-Jewish, evangelical, uh, Western mindset, certain forms of eschatology and end times, there's a sense in which I was taught that um, praying for the Jews mm. in this sense, mm. because it says it here, yep. is the most important. If, if, you know, if we look at look after the Jews, mm. God will look after us. Mm. Um, I've heard me- Americans are really big on this. Mm. They go, oh, I just look at, that's what the American philosophy of care for the Jewish nation is all about. Well, if we do that, God will look after us. And I'm mm. thinking, no, it doesn't actually fit with scripture. Because it's almost like we'll excuse all this other moral high grade, this mm. all this other moral depravity in our nation. Because because we're being nice to the Jews and we're allied <laughs> with them, somehow God's going to let all the other stuff slip through. Mm. It doesn't make sense mm. to me. It's not the way I see God working. I'm all for Jews, but I'm for Jews and Gentiles. I'm yep. for rich and poor. And I mm. think I just say that because, um, and you know, I take trips to Jerusalem. I love going to Israel, but I've learned it. You, you cannot be so pro-Israel mm. that you let Israel the modern day Israel, get away with things mm. that no other people group on the earth would be allowed to get away with. Mm-hmm. The moment, uh, the moment, you know, um, Mugabe started to persecute people, there was outcry around the world. Mm. The moment other nations do it, the moment Russia invaded Ukraine, there was outcry around mm. the world. But the moment, but the Jews, they can move into the promise, they can move into the West Bank and, and start to annex villages in, in the West Bank and everyone goes, well, your Christians go, well, that's, 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 that's their right. And I'm thinking, no, you, you don't realize you're actually got a different standard for Jerusalem. So I don't think God is a respecter of persons in that way. I expect, mm. I think he expects all of us to care for the image of God in, in our enemies, which mm. is what you just said. So mm. just want to throw that in there. It's worth having a, a deeper yeah. conversation about in a different context, but um, I know that that comes up quite a lot. So kind of mm. trying to preempt a couple of questions on that one. <laughs> Smart. All right, Psalm, we're going to skip uh, Psalm yep. one twenty three. We we're going to go on to Psalm one twenty four. Uh, so Psalm 124, uh, I'll just read it. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, uh, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept over us. Praise the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, so I think one thought was where it's talking about this idea of the waters engulfing us, uh, that immediately, I think, um, leads me back to 
the, the parting of the Red Sea. Yep. And I guess this whole idea of in, in the ancient Near East waters being um, a place of the abyss or, mm. or sort mm. of um, terror and yeah. – um, but I didn't really have many other thoughts around that. Obviously, it's a it's a beautiful, particularly when you get to the end, this whole idea of being escaped, like the the bird being escaped from a hunter's net, um, does give that sense of freedom. And, yeah. and then, you know, later when we get into the John passages, there where Jesus talks about the truth setting you free, yes, and things yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I just I probably I probably just um, basked in this psalm rather than had too many. Well, that's, that's actually a really good thing to do with these Psalms. Mm. That is actually, they're supposed to be devotional, um, devotional pieces of literature. Mm. Um, and so to actually bask in them, to just these short Psalms, to mm. read them and just meditate on them like this and just let them speak to you is actually healthy. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't do the whole Psalm a day thing. Many people do and they love that. Um, but I think that's how they, they're meant to be read. They're not it's not always good to pull them apart and try and judge them analytically. Mm. They're piece, we don't do that with any other form of no. uh, musical or, mm. or, or song. Mm. We feel yeah. the music as much as we yes. pull it apart. Yeah. We should check it for theology and so on, definitely. Mm. I'm not saying we should have the, poor theology in our in our songs, but they, they should be experienced. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm. Um, it is a, and we talk, the theme is graciousness. Mm. And what, what actually comes up in a lot of these Psalms of Ascents over and over again is this graciousness of mm. God, that he has protected us. He mm. has provided for us. He has cared for us. He has, he has given us more than we deserve. Mm. And so I can, you know, if you overlay the theme of graciousness, if you sat, if you sat down with this Psalm and you just said, I'm going to look at how this song speaks of the graciousness mm. of God. Um, and it does, you know, yeah. that the Lord, he could have left us, but he yes. didn't. Yeah. He's on our side mm. and, and it feels, it feels like raging waters. Mm. You, you, you picked up on a theme there, the raging waters, the, the tumultuous seas. Mm. That is definitely ancient Near East language. Mm. You've got water is incredibly refreshing mm. in its right context, <laughs> in a lovely flowing stream like Psalm 23. He yeah. leaves me beside still waters. Mm. But in this context... Um, as it's raging, as it's as it's teeming over us, mm. it's a it's a metaphor that's used throughout ancient literature mm. for um, for feeling like you're being judged or feeling like you're overwhelmed. Mm. Many floods overwhelm us. The the whole flood analogy. So you've got you've got the if you think about track it through for for a Jew at this time, they've got the narrative of Genesis one. Mm. That's just like chaos. Mm. Waters are just chaos. And waters being separated. And waters exactly, mm. and then God's bringing order out of that. He's mm. separating and bringing dry land out of chaotic waters. Mm. It's just the waters cover the sea, mm. and then you've got, uh, you know, you've got the story of the flood. Yes, which is like a decreation back to that again. Yeah, and then you've got the Red Sea mm. and God protecting them from that, mm. and and that's their sign of grace and protection. That whole Exodus experience. So. They're referring here, I think, to the fact, and many of us should be able to think of this in our own lives. There are times where I've had times lately where I feel like I'm over my head. Mm. I feel like the waters are raging in over me and I go, I don't know how I'm going to be able to swim in this, Lord. This mm. is beyond <laughs> beyond me. And at times like that, if you're listening to this and you, you, you're feeling that way, mm. pick up Psalm 124 and read it yeah. and let, let God comfort you in mm. the middle of that. It's interesting because I was only just come to me now – you know, those first few verses are talking about the waters and, and everything being sort of overtaken by water. But then we go to the idea of a bird 
and it seems to be a bit of a jump in landscape. Different metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. So this, you know, why doesn't, you know, a ship come and pull me out of the water or, yeah. you know, or yeah. a great fish come and swallow me and spit me up onto the, you know, the land. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, we probably don't want to pick it apart too much, but no, there's a shift in sort of. It's just using two different metaphors mm. to illustrate the same struggle. Yes. He's saying one minute I feel like I'm overwhelmed by f- mm. waters. Other times I feel like I'm stuck in a trap. Yes. There's no way out. Yes. Yeah. You know, interestingly, I, I preached about this here in they're all on Sunday around the Exodus experience with mm. our vision builders and everything. I mean, both those, they, they were, there was waters mm. and they were trapped. Mm. <laughs> so maybe, you know, I, I think about being at Exodus, being on the Red Sea as being, you can't go back, you can't go forward mm. and you feel trapped. Mm. So, um, you know, this mixing of metaphors is, is a very common thing. Right. So I think you're right. Don't pick it apart too much, but go, oh, it's interesting that he would, mm. that he or she, the writer, would go from one metaphor to another mm. and go, what, what are the nuances of that? Yeah. Anytime a metaphor is used in scripture, it's going to be uh, insignificant to fully explain mm. what they're going through. We use metaphors in life intentionally to give us different ways to express what, or understand yeah. what we're feeling. But there, mm. each metaphor in and of itself is not, it's a metaphor by <laughs> by definition. It's not supposed mm. to be the truth. It yeah. points to the truth. It explains something about the truth. So he's probably going, yeah, I feel like I'm trapped. I feel mm. like a bird in a cage right mm. now. And uh, and that God has sprung that trap and yeah. released us, our, our help. Once again, see, our help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. It ends with, that's the same as the beginning of Psalm 121. I look, lift my eyes to the hills and my help mm. comes from the Lord yeah. who, who made Heaven and earth, it says yep. there too. So there's, you can see the theme mm. running through these psalms. Love it. All right. I think we're going to Psalm 1, 2, 5 now. Mm-hmm. So Psalm 125, I think uh, rather than reading the whole thing, even though it is short, um, what stood out to me was verse four. So it goes on to say, do what is good, Lord, to the good, to those whose hearts are upright. But as for those who turn aside to crooked ways, the Lord will banish them with the evildoers. Peace be with Israel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, this verse four, do what is good, Lord, to the good, to those whose hearts are upright. Uh, that to me feels a little bit like, um, does God only do good to those that are good? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, he lets the rain fall on both the righteous and yeah, the, the righteous wicked. and the unrighteous. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and we know later on, it was a Paul that says no one is good. Um, yep, yep. and, and so we kind of, obviously that's something that we've got to develop later as we grow, go on the biblical yeah. journey, but yeah. Is that sort of just a a, a David uh, or whoever's written this, yep. just their way of going, just bless those who bless me um, and curse those Curses, who curse me? Yeah, wow. Do you think? Um, I don't think. Okay. But I also don't – I also think that we evangelicals have probably watered down th- the whole concept because we understand that no one is mm. perfect and without sin and we're all sinners, that we've watered down the – conversation around the importance of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And this is what gets, con- what concerns me is that yes, salvation is free, but the way we live our life 
we have expectations mm. around it. Mm. We have missed that by and large in the evangelical church. When we do, we come to scriptures like this and it doesn't fit with our narrative mm. because Jesus says, you know, love your enemies. Okay. Mm. Well, it does. So I don't think this needs to be read through the lens of, um, oh, Lord, really get those wicked, evil mm. people because because we all know our own hearts. We all know that we are... Um, you know, we're all wicked at heart. We all have the innate ability to sin within us. It can become that. It can become self-righteousness. But I think there's also a sense in which I've heard this said um, in different contexts over the years. I think sometimes when we come to this whole concept of the judgment of God, how can God judge if God's so loving and all of that, it's got a lot to do with the fact that we live in a comfortable, moderately comfortable world. Yes, it's, mm. there, it's not without hardship and mm. people people do um, experience incredible things. And in fact, people, incredibly bad things and, and abuse and all kinds of things. And when, when we live in this world where we go, well, God just loves everybody. Mm. Um, so, you know, forgive them and move on. We can fail to recognize a Psalm like this, mm. which is a person crying out mm. about the injustice they've faced yep. and, and crying out and say, God, put it right. Mm. And our God will put it right. Just mm. like you were saying about, about, you know, if your son, does, you know, hurts another kid, mm. you expect that that son's going to have some consequences yes. for that yeah. because if they, that child's going to have some consequences because if they don't, they're not going to learn mm. and there has to be consequences for wrongdoing. Mm. Mm. I think that's all it's saying here. Um, you, you know, they've had a history on and off. God's people have always, Israel has always had a history of hardship mm. and persecution and they know that. That's They've had multiple nations attacking them and controlling them and so on. Mm. And so they're in Jerusalem once again. They're here and they're singing about being in Jerusalem. And the, in verse 3, it says, The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for the godly might be tempted to do wrong. And sadly, Israel's history was that oftentimes the wicked did rule mm. and did abuse their own people, let alone have to rely on other people to come and control them. Mm. And so it's a cry saying, it's a cry to God's justice. Mm. It's a cry to his grace to say, God, would you would you would you uphold the cause of those who do those who want to do right? Mm. Would you lift them up? Mm. Those who don't want to do wrong, judge them. Mm. You know, remove them from power. Mm. It's not to say that God isn't gracious and doesn't offer an extending hand to them, mm. but when it says somewhere else in the psalm, when or is it in this psalm? No, it might be in a different version of this psalm. It says, "When the righteous prosper, the city is strong. When the wicked." judge when the w wicked are in power, the city is weakened or something like that. So I think it's somewhere else in the Psalms or the Proverbs. Mm. Um, a, a righteousness exalts a nation. So they're crying out for godly people mm. to make godly choices and mm. Lord banish those, remove those from power who are going to abuse that power. Yep. So I think, it, I don't know if that's, I've made yeah. an overcomplicated answer there. No, no. I, yeah. I, I can hear the, yeah. the heart behind that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We miss all that because mm. we just think, oh yeah, I've got a ticket to heaven now. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was probably the main, right. the main thing from that one. Um, All right. We are headed to uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, a mammoth psalm. It is. There's a lot in this one, isn't there? Yeah. More than we had in the other ones. <laughs> yeah. I could. I feel like we could just talk on this this psalm alone. Yeah. Um, it, it actually has a lot of um, theological kind of questions in it, totally. doesn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, 
Oh gosh, that's where do we begin? Yeah, where do you begin? Where well, do let's you begin? just pull out, you know, two or three things and see how we go. Yeah, all right. Well, I think uh, just for me personally, verse eight, um, he's talking about uh, going up to heaven. You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And the thing that stood out to me in that part, in that part, is this idea of Sheol, um, which can also be translated hell in some cases, or death, death, and yep. the grave, the grave, yeah, um, yeah. Just this idea of you know, obviously we affirm the idea of God being omnipresent, omniscient, you know, and, and being everywhere. Um, but for me, I take comfort in the fact that God is also somewhere in the grave, mm. you know, and we know that Jesus obviously in the grave and that complicated passage about freeing yeah, those that setting were, captives free and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of theology and, and the, dead coming, there. the dead coming up. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot of theology there that I, I, I love to wrestle with. Um, but that was one thing that stood out for me. I don't know if you want to offer any thoughts or comments the, on, on the that. whole concept of um, well, you know, God being omnipresent. Yeah, and, yeah, gotcha. And and this i this idea, I think probably uh, at least growing up for me, this idea of Sheol being um, where God is not. Yes, it's sort of yeah. the absence of God. The absence of God. Yeah. Yes, and this um, seems to counteract this, that, doesn't this it? This does seem to counteract that. Yeah. Um, again. It, it probably is picking apart this, the word Sheol and the idea of hell and, and how we've understood hell and, and all those sort of things. Interesting too, that he's making his bed in Sheol. I don't know why he wants to make a bed in, in the grave. <laughs> in the grave? Yeah. Um, well, I, could that be poetic language for his mental health at the time? Hmm. I mean, David was very, um, you know, he's very up and down in his character. Hmm. Uh, he faced incredible trials and I think yeah. trials in his life and so on. So I think that could be a poetic way of saying, mm. look, even if I was to to die, mm. even if I was, you know, to leave this place. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think, you, you you know, the Bible can be quite triggering in that way. Mm. We often joke about how, you know, not joke, but often think, how, how do we how do we help people to realize, to read the Bible? It's, it, there's a lot of trauma alerts to yeah. use modern language in the Bible. Oh, it can be quite confronting yeah, yeah. with its language. And, but I think that's intentional because it it shows the depth of human grief mm. that I, I think when he's saying that it's almost like if I was to take my own life, mm. right. I, yeah. The idea of making his bed, being yeah, that, you'd yeah. still be there. Yes. You, you would still be there. So, yeah. um, you know, th I think that's, it's probably that more, that sense of this overarching, uh, omnipresence of God mm. that he is everywhere, mm. um, in this. Yeah. Was it was verse, which verse was it? Verse um, nine, was it? No? Yeah. Verse eight. Verse eight. I'm reading the NLT. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave or to Sheol, you are there. Mm. Yeah. I think it's poetic language to say, well, it starts with verse seven. I cannot escape from your yes. spirit. Yes. So I think it's his, the next few verses are, are riffing off that thought that mm. God, you are, you see me. And that's the whole Psalm. It's the fact that God is intimately involved mm. in everything about me. Verse one, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. Mm. And then it's just a whole lot of, um, example poetic of that. phrases of yeah. that, isn't it? Of, yeah. of saying this sense that it doesn't matter where I go, what I do, God sees it all. I can't hide from you in the dark in the day. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's a whole lot of poetry to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. I and think it's probably worth devotionally looking at each of those because mm. each of those, once again, they're metaphors that will explain something of the human heart and our condition. Mm. We'll all feel at times like we're in dark. We'll mm. feel like we're away from God on the farthest oceans, it says in verse nine. So all these different metaphors. Yeah. Um, that we're experiencing. Yeah. And it may be the same for this other verse that I pulled out, verse 15. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, mm. when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Um, I thought that was interesting in this whole idea of 
he doesn't say formed in the womb, but maybe another translation Verse does say that. 15 is does it? in the NLT. You're looking at what version? Uh, Holman Study Bible. All right. And yeah, which might be a bit different. No. What version is it though? HCSB. Oh, okay. Mm, so let's, yeah. so the NIV says verse 15. Uh, yeah, yeah says, verse 15. So verse 15, the NIV is picked up, says woven together in the depths of the earth. Mm. Uh, the NLT says mother's womb. Yeah. King James version says, um, says the lowest parts of the earth. I suspect that, so the more modern writers like the NLT, they've obviously picked up on the womb, the wording and, mm. and concept. Yeah. Which was interesting. I think. That's why it stood out to me because mm. it's one thing to say formed in the womb. It's another thing to say formed in the depths of the earth. Yes. Because it's two very different things. Unless it's speaking metaphorically. Yeah. Once again. Exactly. That's, yeah. And that's what I was. And I, I suspect this is a good example, friends. We won't do it now, but you could go back to the Hebrew word and look at it. Mm. Actually, look, let's just do it quickly. We've got yeah, plenty of time. Let's just do it. pull it up. I'll put my glasses on. I'll use my phone. <laughs> done this a few times in our podcast. I use my um, another Bible app that I have, which has a Strong's. Concordance, Psalm one thirty nine, verse fifteen. Can we do some waiting music? Yeah, it puts it. Yeah, we can do some waiting. Do, 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 elevate music. <laughs> verse fifteen says, "Knit together in the lowest parts of the earth." The word is arez from an unused root, probably meaning the firm, the earth. Yeah, so it does seem to be saying it's it's translated as land and earth mm. and country. So it's not it's not translated in any way as. From the according to Strong's Concordance, the, the Hebrew word has nothing to do with womb. No. So there will be a reason why a modern translation has decided to use womb. Mm. I would I'm a bit disappointed by that, unless there's a good reason, mm. because um, because that's not what it's saying. No, and it 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 does because for me it raises more questions because often when you might think of the depths of the earth, you might think more of a death deathly place. Yes, a dark place, a, dark, a place where there is no yeah. life. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it was, that's, that's why it jumped out yeah. at me, um, I guess, reading this version. And that's not to say that they would have thought, they would have known, of course they knew, mm. that mm, the Lord, you know, the, the, that a baby was in a womb. Mm. They would have known that. Um, but, yes, they would have, they would have known that, mm. definitely. And I'm just trying to think through whether or not they, they might have believed at some point that somehow the baby sovereignly appeared in them. They would have understood enough to know that the yeah. baby is being formed inside its mother. Mm. Um, but so whether or not it's just a pure metaphor mm. when it's saying depths of the earth, mm. or if there is a sense, they had some kind of belief that God was doing this, forming us up in the... Yeah. Well, he for, the, you know, the belief of Adam being formed from the dust of the yes. earth. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I reckon there's an analogy there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's... Uh, the other place that my brain goes is the idea of, okay, womb and death and all those sort of ideas. And, and there's sort of like a, a, a sort of a link to that, <coughs> excuse me. And then Jesus talks about being born again mm. and a rebirth. Yes. Um, so being, I guess, being born out of a womb of, or a, or a deathly womb, wombful place of the old man yep. and, yep. and um, yeah, I guess being a son of Adam to being a son of the second Adam. Yeah, that's thing. oh definitely that mm. that that recreation that rebirth yeah. mentality. Yeah, yeah. it so. should go there. That, that's a really good yeah. good way to think. Thinking mm. more, um, putting Christ into these scriptures and mm. looking at what does this say about how God works with us. Yeah, but that that just stood out to me with that yeah, yeah that idea of the because I think I had probably my memory of that 
whole section was talking about you form me in my mother's womb. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. And yet I'm just surprised that it, it, it seems to be the NLT, uh, the versions I've got in front of me, it seems yeah. to be the NLT is the only one that, that says mm. that. All the others that I'm looking at say the opposite. All, yeah. all the ones. That, so it might be a different translation. It could just be mm. a decision it makes. But that's how I've learned it too. And look, this is this this is one of the primary scriptures that a pro-life argument yeah. has used. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know and the the argument about at what point is life does life begin is mm. is is improvable mm. i mean they still can't necessarily prove at what point because they don't ex- exactly know what constitutes mm. human conscience and sentience mm. you know um but this is the argument that is used well yeah. it's saying there that it was you know it was there god was knitting us together putting mm. us together i think that's that's a valid argument mm. i would say that you, you know we shouldn't stretch a um, clearly a metaphorical thing, especially if it doesn't say, it's saying something that's completely different. It's, it's yeah. not saying the word word no, anyway, it's saying no. depths of the earth. So we shouldn't uh, take a cherry pick scripture mm. and go, okay, that's that's our pin-up scripture for yeah. being pro-life. Now, I think we can produce an argument for a pro-life, predominantly pro-life argument from yeah, lots of, from um, womb to tomb, yes. <laughs> all the way through life. God is, from lots of concepts, God is, I like to say, womb to tomb, all the way through. Mm-hmm. I think God is pro-life all the way through, and he's all about um, everything in between, the way we honor the image of God and each other. So all of those things, rather than just going, oh, I'll use that scripture as my as my strong one, mm-hmm. I wouldn't personally feel comfortable to pick a scripture in a psalm that's written metaphorically no. as, as my major mm-hmm. argument for, mm-hmm. um, for a particular view on anything. I think we need to look at the overarching. Totally. Part of scripture, which no doubt why you've heard it too, because mm. I'm intrigued now. After this podcast, I'm going to have to go away and see why on earth it's because I've only ever heard it quoted that way. I, I quote it as you knit me together in my mother's womb, even mm. without looking it up. I knew it was in Psalm 139. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I always say yeah, that. Same. Yeah, it's weird how you kind of yeah. And I'm not. I've only in more recent years been an NLT guy, just because it's a an easier version for people to handle. Mm. It's written at a, a at a level that's more explainable. Yeah. But I was new NIV and New King James for most of my Christian life, and I. Yeah. If you had told me it said yeah. depths of the earth in there, I would have gone, no, it says womb for sure. I guess in some ways for us, it's it's an easier thing to picture um, something being formed in a womb. Yes. Because, you know, and he's obviously talking about bones not being hidden and all yeah. those sort of things and where a bone's formed, they're in a womb. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it, it is quite quite interesting. It so, is. Anyway. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's, um, I think the other thing I had here was verse 19. I've just got to read my notes. Um Oh, yeah, so he goes, he says, God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. You invoke you deceitfully, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Um, Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. (laughs) I consider them my enemies. (laughs) Then verse 23, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my concerns. (laughs) Maybe if he tested what he just read, he might have a problem with it. And that's, that's what (laughs) stood out to me. It's almost like, and I guess there is this understanding that with the Psalms, it's it's sort of David processing or real time. Yeah. Processing it in real time. This whole sense of like, kill, 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 kill. And then and it's then, like, uh, actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, maybe ser- if there's any offensive way. Yeah. yeah so, he, okay. So you're actually saying he's processing it. And as he, in real time, he's going, oh, maybe I shouldn't be thinking like that. Totally. That's, that's what stood out to me. N- oh, yeah. wow. That's good thought. Yeah. So he's actually processing his own conviction. Yes. About what he's just said. Yes. I've never thought well, of that. that. Well, you know. That if, makes a lot of sense. If in an argument, for example, with my wife, you know, I might vent, 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 vent. I don't. Want some killer, point conviction but, comes. Um, yeah, and then some point's like, actually, that was a dumb thing to say. Oh, wow. That or, is 
I don't know. Oh, oh no, that's, oh, that's, what I was that's ask. gold. Oh, oh go. that's a revelation. <laughs> I reckon that, that one deserves a you round can of have applause. That for free. You, can, you can have a round of applause for that one, mate. Let me see oh. if I can find the round of applause button. Nah, that's a horn. That's a horn. <laughs> I can't see it without my glasses. Yeah. Where's my. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Oh, I can't hear it in my headphones. We've, we've got problems. Shannon, you're going to have to help me. Now people are clapping at the horn. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was just what kind of that's how I interpreted that, and maybe it it helps because there's actually a, a space in the line between verse twenty two and so whether or not that was a deliberate decision from whoever from put the, the Bible translators, together. but um, but it does seem to me uh, following that train of thought, you know, he's talking about how good God is and how um, he's worthy of praise and and how um, complex we are as created beings. Um, and then he's, and then he jumps into like, oh, geez, I just wish you could kill all these people. And then, um, and then it's like, oh, maybe search my heart and test me and, and my concerns. Simon, you, you've just <laughs> opened my thoughts up on, on many of these oh, Psalms lovely. where David does this in a way I've never thought about. Mm. I've never thought about that. I've just always thought, oh, this is just extreme poetic mm. metaphorical language. It's just going over the top. Right. But if we're honest, maybe we don't feel like quite, we haven't ex- quite expressed that. But when we're in very dark times, we we know it's now healthy to express that, mm. not to suppress it. You know, I learned that from LL actually. You know, mm. I was pressing everything down thinking I can't, I can't process anything. Mm. And all I was doing was pushing it further and further into the emotional basement. So one of the things that David does well is he, he processes. Now, mm. if you're a songwriter, I'm not. If you're a songwriter, um, this is how a lot of songwriters do Mm. Uh, process and and think through things and express it in mm. words or sit at a piano and play or you know pastor jeff does it with his with his art mm. with his poetry and his art he's expressing his emotion in, in that experience if more like me and you're more left brain and less creative in that way you can express it through word express yep. it through through just journaling mm. i think this is a good example of how if we journal our thoughts and emotions mm. it it brings order to them and in the process of bringing order to them one of the things that might be good about songwriting even more than journaling or poetry more than journaling, and I've dabbled in a little bit of poetry, is uh, it slows us down enough mm. that we have to craft yes. words. Yes, I can sit there and journal my thoughts and just yeah. a random spew, yeah, yeah. but to put it into a song or into mm. poetry forces me to really wrestle with what I'm feeling mm. in a way that it's very different to just spewing it out. Mm. And um, I know... I. I wrestle with poetry because I just want to get it out and move on to the next thing. <laughs> but to me, poetry seems like a waste of time mm. because it takes me an hour to write yeah. a chapter, you know, write, write half a dozen lines. Mm. But that's just stupid because the depth of experience I have in writing an hour, mm. and, you know, writing half a dozen lines of poetry can be huge. Mm. And I'll remember that. So I think for all of us, it's a good practice mm. to process in word or song or art in some way, our emotion, our hurts, our pains, mm. And in doing so, maybe this is what you've hit on. In doing so, you'll come to a point where it's like God says, "Okay, you got that off your chest. Yes, yeah. Let me let me have a voice mm. to this now." Mm. He's not down on us. Mm. The fact that he's that he gets to twenty three and he's saying, "Search me, God," um, after he's just said, "I've got nothing but hatred for them." Mm. That shows me that God hasn't abandoned him. There's mm. still a conviction that's come to yeah. him at that point. And even just what stood out to me then is. Search me, God. But he's just spent, you know, all these other verses talking about how he knows him in, intimately, intimately anyway. So what is there to search? Maybe it's searching out um, what he's asking God for in that moment is searching for those 
um, places that don't honor him yes. and, and let's call it sin. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway. Simon, that's <laughs> was worth You're the welcome, price mate. of admission just for that for one. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. Well done. All right. We're going to head to the New Testament now. Mm-hmm. Heading over to the Gospel of John. So, John 8, an adulterous forgiven is what it's uh, titled in my Bible. Um, so, without reading it all, this idea of the, the Pharisees bringing a woman caught in adultery um, into the center of the um, where de- Jesus is teaching in the temple complex. Which in itself could be a confronting For thing, sure. isn't it? Yeah. Um, the thing that I love and I just wish I knew, and I don't know if you've heard any um, thoughts around this, but this this idea of, you know, they the Pharisees bring this woman here and then Jesus' reaction is to stoop down and write in right the dust. Right in the ground. Yeah. And um, have you heard any? I have. Yeah. Let's hear them. Um, I've heard the argument, well, he's just playing tic-tac-toe in the ground. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, one that, the one that I've heard that's most prevalent, and I, to confess, I haven't really researched it to be 100% certain, is that um, there was some kind of practice of, of scribbling sins mm-hmm. in the ground, okay. and then the idea was you just wipe oh, them wipe away. Them and it was out. some kind of it was something linked to the uh, to the, the priestly duty of intercession. Okay, is that you would come and you would confess your sins and you'd make an offering and they'd write them down in the ground ah, and then wipe it away. Oh, cool. Um, I've never heard that one. No, that and that one, I, I can't say for sure, but that one does actually make a lot of sense. Mm, totally, because if cause something's happening here in this story where mm. they're they're looking at Jesus writing in the ground, and one by mm. one they're walking away. Mm. Could it be that Jesus is, <laughs> oh, you know, uh, Nathaniel? Yeah. <laughs> Last night you yelled at your yes, wife, and yeah, yeah. you know you mistreated your slave. Yes. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. That's quite confronting. Yeah. So, but that's all I've heard. What have you heard, Simon? Yeah. Sim- well, similar. Just that. Yeah. Either he's just scribbling. Um, you know, is it is it a is it a um, a prayer? You know, Lord, what do I do here? In yep. this moment, what yep. should I say? Um, yep. The other one was what you were saying. Is he writing down, you know, some some other women's names? The the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just it is a really it's such a cool picture of Jesus in the sense that he's just cool, calm, and collected. Oh, so good, isn't it? And and this idea of I found it interesting too because I I kind of. Rereading this passage, I'd always just thought of him stooping once and writing, but he actually does it twice. Twice, yep. Yeah. Um, so he stoops down again and continues writing in the ground, and then they sort of start. Um, interesting that it's, it's the older men that start to leave, whether they're just a bit wiser and a bit yep. sort of more. Or whether Jesus started humble. with the older yeah, ones. Maybe, maybe <laughs> if he was listing this, yeah. this sins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a very cool kind of picture. Um, I don't know if I. Yeah. I think it's there's a few things that's worth pointing out here. Um, it, it shows, well, it starts with a woman was caught in the act of adultery, and mm. so she's brought before Jesus. So last time I checked, adultery requires two people. Mm-hmm. So and only according one, to the Mosaic law, mm-hmm. both should be if they're going to buy it by the letter of the law, as they say, the law demands that we stone such people. Mm. What do you have to say? Like, if I was Jesus, I'd be going, well, where's the fella? Mm. 
So that brings some questions in itself. Mm. It brings some questions as to whether or not this was a setup. Yeah. What it makes me think more than anything, which really breaks my heart, is it reinforces this maltreatment of women mm. by these men who are supposed to be the leaders and the mm. teachers who are supposed to be the ones who care for the hurting and the broken, yeah. that somehow they've found this woman and they, they've set her up, mm. it would appear, mm. um, for this purpose. They, they've set her up, whether or not they've tricked her into this, whether someone, it could even be one of the priests themselves mm. that's done this. They are so disinterested in the, integ- in the image of God in this woman mm. that they are so obsessed with taking down Jesus mm. that they are prepared to use a woman mm. and probably a, a quite shattered yeah. woman yeah. as um, bait. Mm. Uh, that's a, hello, Amanda's bringing us coffee. She has a habit oh, of doing this. She's in the habit of doing this. No way. Wave to the camera again, Amanda. Too late. You're off camera. You've got to get right in here to get. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very kind. Oh, she even knows what you want. How, um, did, you, how did you know what Simon wants? I called your oh, oh, my She goodness. called uh, his wife. How does my wife know what I want? Jazz. It's yeah. amazing. Thank, thank you, Amanda. You. Thank you very much. And uh, so, yeah, I yeah. think that this this breaks my heart, this whole mm. story, that that it should have even have ever come to this. And mm. it, it shows me the the level of control, mm. like you're saying, that Jesus has. Mm. He's not fighting back. No. He's, would you say, cool, calm, collected? Yeah. Yeah. It just um, doesn't, doesn't seem stressed by it. Seems very measured. There's obviously something very deliberate about him stooping down and yep. riding in the ground. I would have imagined too, I mean, I'm just thinking now, maybe that idea of stooping, the word stoop often feels, well, to me anyway, it's sort of like, oh, you stoop too low. Or there's a sense of him humbling himself even in that moment to kind of go from a standing position to a more humble position of being below yeah, great. the eye line. So whether or not he's taking a, a humble I don't know. Mm. That's well, well let's develop that a bit further. I mean, these guys are out for blood. They're mm. out for Jesus' blood, really. Mm. They don't care about the woman. They're after him. Yes. Um, so even the fact that he's prepared to get down into a position of humility and vulnerability, surrounded by presumably mm. a whole heap of Pharisees mm. who are basically ready to, if they could kill him, they would, mm. um, surrounded by them, it takes incredible composure mm. and humility <clears throat> and and faith to be able to put yourself into a position of vulnerability. The last thing you want to do is get down on the ground mm. if you're being stood over by people. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I really love that. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, obviously he, he stands up and says, where are your, you know, accusers? No one, has no one condemned you? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And just that whole, the beautiful picture there, I know we've got to take a lot of things in context with other judgment passages and, you know, but this whole idea of Jesus is not out to condemn. No. He's not a condemning person. We want to condemn. Yep. Um, Pharisees want to condemn. Religious people want to condemn. But so does every every Dick and Harry. Yeah, that's right. I'm saying Dick on a podcast. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, just Get this, away with it on this one. Yeah, just this, this whole idea that... Um, <laughs> That is not God's heart. He's no. not a condemner. I, I like the fact that there's a specific order in what Jesus says. Mm. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mm. I think we Christians, we reverse that. Mm. Stop sinning and then we won't condemn you. Yes. Yeah. We look down on people who are sinners, like the Pharisees. We mm. find this is the thing, is it's very easy to 
while I say I'm sad, mm. how often do I become the Pharisee and I judge mm. I judge those who are broken or hurting mm. or come come to church who are not together and seemingly, oh, totally. you, you know, causing trouble or whatever. Jesus reverses that. Mm. And I think it's actually the freedom from condemnation that enables us to go and sin no mm. more. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It does. It's, mm. Yeah, that's it. The kindness leads to repentance. It's it's the grace of God, the graciousness of our Lord, which is our theme, mm. that empowers us mm. to be able to do what yes. we need to do. John, yeah. I talked about this with one of the podcasts, maybe Amanda or something earlier on about John Bevere has this sermon on the grace, the meaning mm. of grace. And he says, really, we, we, we water down grace to some kind of big cover up where we just sort of you know, oh, God forgives us, move on. Mm. But grace is more than that. Mm. He describes grace as God's empowering presence mm. to do to help enable us to do what truth demands of us. Mm. When we have been shown this graciousness, we actually are empowered mm. to live right. Totally. We are empowered now to go and sin no more. We yeah. are empowered to love our enemies and love our neighbours. Mm. And so recognising that grace mm. we have been entrusted with, mm then we can be like this woman. She was, we don't know anything about what happened to this woman. John doesn't tell us. Um, I don't think that's really the main point he's trying to make about whether this woman, presumably she went on and, and as we all do, she may have had a continued struggles, but she had some kind of, she would have, you know, you can't have an encounter with Jesus like this and not have some kind of significant impact from that. Um, But there was an, there was a, shows us something of Jesus' grace here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. definitely. It's, yep. a, it's beautiful like that. John 8. Yes. Um, do you want to move to John 9? Yeah, or? let's go. We've got all other right. stuff in John 9, but we, we don't need to go there. We'll be yeah, here, all, we'll be here so all afternoon much. if we do that. All so right. we'll head over to John, John 9. 9. So speeding ahead to John 9, this is the healing of a a man born blind. Uh, So it goes, it says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born, uh, he was born blind. And, you know, then Jesus says, neither this man or his parents. The The thought that came to me, and, you know, if you've got any thoughts as well, this whole idea of, who sinned, and and it made me think of um, the way that they're phrasing it. It's almost like they've done something wrong in order to for a curse to be on this child. Um, let's say it also made me think of Job and his friends. It's like looking for looking for the reasons, yeah, the reasons behind things. We we as humans just want to to find what we need to judge something. Yeah. We need to find something to condemn yep. and make, make right. And the, yeah, the fact that neither of this was for that, it was just for, That's right. you know, God's glory. And then obviously raises more questions as like, well, why would he, yeah. Why would God do that yeah. to someone? Yeah. Um, which we don't need to go into right now. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I thought that was some of the things that came to me, but did you have any other? No, that's, that's worth exploring just for mm. a moment because, the, once again, this is a great example of reading something at face value. Mm. And we what we're seeing here is a prevailing view of the times. Yeah. Um, and it was throughout ancient history. And it, like the point you made, it still is. This view that somehow everything has cause and effect. Mm. Anything that's happened in the world that's bad mm. means that someone has done something bad that has caused that effect. Mm. And <clears throat> we might intellectually say we don't believe that anymore but we still live that way. 
we still see that ourselves when when we're praying for a loved one to get well from cancer and mm. some are healed and some aren't we instinctively go back to well why wasn't that person healed if they passed away what did i do wrong mm. you know we go back to cause and effect yep. what 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 do we miss here invariably it's the same question these guys are mm. asking what's the reason mm. um you know we almost want to tie everything up with a ni- nice yep. neat bow and and say, okay, this is the reason. Mm. Even a lot of the the fear narrative, I've seen a lot of conservative Christianity today about how dark the world is. It's like, well, if we can blame someone else for it, if Mm. we can blame those, you know, woke people or whatever, we can tie a bow around it. We've got an excuse for why the world is the way Mm. it is. I think that if you take a step out of individual texts and look at the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end at at a philosophical level, the story of God weaving it in, I think there are we're not supposed to understand mm. case and point mm. cause and effect for every individual thing. I mm. think we're supposed to come up and go, the Bible's not telling us this man was born blind because yeah. his parents sinned or he mm. sinned, but the Bible is saying that our world is broken mm. and that human beings mm. have failed to acknowledge the image of God in others. They have mm. defined good and evil for themselves. They have taken from the tree and eaten for themselves mm. what's good at the expense of others. And as an overarching view, the picture of that on a macro level is mm. that the world has degenerated into and things think bad, people do do bad things to one another. Mm. That does not mean that um, the whole, the whole issue of a person born blind mm. is somehow directly related to any one thing. It's that the whole of uh, Roman says all of creation has been subjected to decay mm. because of um, the the moral depravity of humanity. Mm. There is a link somehow, some mm. cosmic link between the way humans live their lives and how we have failed to be image bearers on the earth and steward the earth the way we were entrusted to, and the fact that bad things happen. We just don't want to link it down to A caused yeah. B. Yeah. I've even heard some stories, um, I'm, I was getting it secondhand from, I can't remember where, but even where there's been a natural disaster oh, and, and um, a preacher or someone saying that's because of an occultic practice yes. or, or whatever. It's, it's God's judgment on, yeah. on that. I can't see whatever. that in theology. I mean, yeah. there were preachers standing up after 9-11 and saying it was yeah, God's judgment. Right. Mm. And it just, um, I just think that that is not what the Bible is saying. Mm. That's not the story. The, it's not so black and white. Like no, that. no, that's right. It's much more nuanced. Yeah. It's my, my favorite word at the moment, nuance. There's it's lots of word. nuance in life yeah. that we, we just don't like nuance because we no. want, we want cause and effect. It, it, we feel safe when there's cause and effect. Mm. We feel like we're out of control if we can't link an effect to mm. a cause. Yeah. I guess it maybe, does it tap into our scientific you know, I think it does. We love we love cause and effect. We love things to be black and white. Yeah. Um. Because there's no mystery. There's no beauty in black and white. No. Um. Yeah. And there's no. I in some ways there's no faith because we can see it in front of us and yeah. Yeah. We don't need the it. irony of it is, is you know I love dabbling in physics and things. The, the, the more you dabble into science at this level, the more you realise that it isn't there isn't direct links. You get down no. to a, a quantum level with our even with our science. Mm. There's no cause and effect at that no. level either. It's random. Yes. Yeah. So. I think that God. I think God loves the randomness oh, aspect. Yeah, That's yeah. the faith aspect. Yeah. That's where we go. God's moving in the world. So in this story, this story of this this man who's been born blind here, mm. um, it's it, when Jesus says this happened that the glory of God. It's not like he's, I think that's extreme language. I don't think mm. we should read that literally as Jesus saying 
this God caused this man to be blind no, no. and live thirty something years yes. of his life yeah, as a blind yeah. man so for this moment. And for this yes, moment, yeah, I think yeah. that's that that does. I, I wouldn't want to serve no, a God like that. No. I think He's saying this has happened. Yes, but watch what God's going to exactly. do. God's redemptive, even though this mm. has happened. Mm. God is going to redeem yeah. the situation. Yeah, I, that resonates with me for sure. Yeah. Um, I think jumping ahead to verse sixteen is what I've got in my notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the man gets healed by spit and mud. From Jesus. Um, and it says in verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? I think what I wrote down here was just this idea of, for the Pharisees, obedience to law is the mark of a belonging, of being, you know, a child of God yes. or, or whatever. Um, but it seems as though there were also some Pharisees that were enticed by who Jesus was. Mm. And the fact that um, in this case, he wasn't interested in law. He was interested in love and the care of that person yeah. and the individual in that moment. So I just I just thought that was... We give all the Pharisees a bad rap. We do. But by the time we get to Acts 15, there's a whole group of the church that were Pharisees, a sect of the yeah. Pharisees. So, and out of all the religious groups of the times, the Sadducees, the mm. Pharisees, the Essenes and the Zealots, four mm. main religious groups at the time, the one that Jesus would have had most in common with was actually the Pharisees. Yeah. And, you know, let's give them some credit too. They are honestly trying to do their very yes, best yeah. and to honour yep. God and and working with what they've been handed to them and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but, they were. Yeah. They had, they're very much like us. We are We are also, m- most Christians battle with Pharisaical tendencies. Some will mm. have some of those others. There's a bit of zealotry here and there. And, mm. uh, but we many of us will be pharisaical in that sense. If we want to do the right thing and we go, well, what books boxes do I need yeah, to tick exactly. to be approved by God? Yeah. And then I but I move into this self righteous thing. Well, I don't do that and I don't go there and I yeah. I don't do those things. So therefore I'm better than you. Yeah, totally. And that's what I think I was picking up was this idea of obedience to law, uh, in the sense of just sort of um, almost a works based thing, in the sense that that's the mark of someone rather than love. Yeah. Um, you could you could be obeying the law but have no love in your heart and that's yep. just empty. Yeah, that's um, right. And Jesus yeah. says that, doesn't he? Yes, yep, definitely. Yep. Um, I think my verse, my comment for verse 25 is so good. I don't know what I wrote. Uh, so what? good. Oh, your comment yeah. is so good. So good, yes. Oh, As yeah. in, yes, I just wrote so good. <laughs> I love it. Um, he says, I don't know whether I'm a sinner, whether he's a it. sinner or not. I just know I was blind. Yes. Uh, heck, uh, I can see now. Now I can see, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is just that simple yeah. There's this that beautiful simplicity to to this guy where yeah. it's like I don't know it's just I, I, could, I was blind and now yeah. I can see. I love this story because he he starts being sarcastic and lecturing back to the yeah, Pharisees. Yeah, totally. Yeah, goes, but again, it maybe taps in with that whole cause and effect thing where he's like, I don't know how it happened. Yeah. I don't know the cause. Yeah. I don't know the. I just know the effect. Um, yeah, and that's all that matters in the end. That's yeah. what matters to him. Is yes. I was blind now I can see. Yeah, and I think we can't underestimate our own experiences. Yes. Um, and then like you were saying, he goes on preaching to them. Verse 34 was interesting for me. Um, you were born, he's the, the Pharisees say to this guy, well, you know, you know, after he's lecturing them, he says, well, they say, well, you were born entirely in sin. They replied. I love the NIV. It used to say in the version I used to listen to, you were born a, you were stooped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Yeah. (laughs) And it is that whole sense of, um, were they not born? In, yeah, as if they, they weren't. They, yeah, they <laughs> they um somehow they can't see that 
they also, yeah. you know, are, are a sinner from birth, really. Yeah. So, I thought, I well, that, that's what he goes on with in the rest of the chapter and talks mm. about their spiritual blindness. That's yes. the whole. That's why John's put this story and linked it in with this. It's had an effect. He's trying to teach about how we're all blind, mm, for sure. Um, and then I think thirty-five. Um, I've gone too far. Oh yeah, so um, Jesus. I think he's speaking to the blind man here. Oh, yeah, so when they'd heard that they'd thrown the man out, he found him and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Um, son of Man. He's not saying Son of God. No. And he often refers to himself as the Son of Man. Can you remind me again what? Uh, that's a direct link to Daniel chapter 7. Okay. Um, a vision that Daniel has that one of one like a Son of Man would ascend into heaven mm-hmm. and would sit on a throne. Mm-hmm. This picture is that there, there would be one of one of the humans. Mm. It was a human being mm. who would fulfill the place mm. that they were supposed to fulfill beside the Father in heaven mm-hmm. as the judge. So it's a particular term that became linked to the Messiah. Right. So by this time, they understood this Daniel seven as a messianic mm. phrase, and Jesus attributed that to himself because to him, what was more important than being the Son of God. Mm was actually that he was the human who yes. would restart yeah. the human project and, yeah. and fulfill what mm. the Genesis mandate was mm. to to live and do right by others. Yeah, that's really cool. Are there any par- parts where I know by inference he talks about being God's son? Yes. Are there any parts where he refers to himself as son of God? Uh, no, he responds to them yes. at the trial. Yeah. Are you in fact the son of yes. God? Yeah. And he actually responds and says, you say I am. Yeah. But then he goes on and calls himself, and you will see the son of man yes. coming. Yeah, yeah. So he refers to himself I mean, even in these way. passages, he's talking about the God is my father. And yes, all that that's right. Stuff, so. And John, John's gospel especially, you'll see closer references to his divinity. Mm. John wanted to emphasize his divinity, whereas most of the other synoptic gospels wanted to kind of spend more time emphasizing emphasizing his humanity. Mm. So John's coming from that perspective, yeah. even right at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Yes. He's starting with that mm. mentality. So that's mm. that's the lens through which John's writing his gospel. He's yeah. looking at Christ's divinity. Mm. Um, so you'll see it. Even he reveals himself as a Messiah. Mm. He doesn't call himself the Messiah anywhere. Mm. Um, he doesn't. He never actually says to anybody else, I am the Messiah, except mm. to the woman at the well yes. in John 4. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even to a Jewish, that's mm. a, to a Samaritan woman. Mm. Normally, all the other times he kind of avoids the subject yeah. because he knows that to call himself a Messiah is actually going to derail his process. They want to drag mm. him into Jerusalem and set him up as the, the pin-up king who would yeah. defeat the Romans. And that was undermining. So um, normally, apart from the analogies like I and the Father are one, mm. which is actually also in John's Gospel. Yeah, I think it's coming up. It probably yeah. is. Okay, so yeah, yeah, so those sort of analogies are mm. there. Yeah. I think okay. the spiritual blindness thing, you want to just draw, draw on this. Verse 41, after, after he – well, verse 40, the Pharisees say – are you saying that we're blind? Mm. Verse 41 has some weight to it. He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Mm. The problem is you claim you can see mm. and now you're guilty. Mm. I think there's a, some theological analogies for us there. That That's worth just, as Tim Mackey says, take a cup of tea and a long walk. Mm. I think if you take that concept, that phrase that Jesus makes and overlay it over thing, questions like, big questions like, well, what happens to people who've never heard about Jesus? Mm. What happens to children who aren't old enough? Mm. You know, I think that set, I'm not going to do it for you, not do the work for you, listeners, but I think that scripture has something to say mm. to this concept of um, blindness and spiritual blindness and w- what we would regard as at what point does someone feel um, they have a, um, you know, what, t- what, what point are they actually held guilty for their mm. sin? Mm. 
That's just to throw a little taster out there. Can you unpack that a bit more? Because I'm trying to figure out where. What, so, okay, so let's take a let let's take um, what about the person that's what about? Well, let's start with a child. Let's just mm. do a little one. What about a? This is the issue that come up in Catholic Church with infant baptism, yes, for instance, yeah. and all these things. What about a child who has never? Um, he's old, isn't old enough mm. to know right from wrong. Yes. Yeah. Are they guilty of their sin? Because mm. are they born? In, are they born a sinful? Are they born in sin? Yes. Mm. We all are born sinners. Mm. At what point are we held accountable mm. for our sin? Jesus mm. was saying to these Pharisees, "Your problem is not that you're blind. Mm. You, we're all blind. The problem is you claim you can see. Right. You don't realize you're blind. Right. That's why you're going to be held accountable for mm. your sin. So at some point, a child has a sinful nature, but at some point, it seems to me that they would be held accountable mm. for claiming to be right when they're not. Mm. I don't think my four-year-old, my four-year-old granddaughter has any sense of that. No. But, or my two-year-old mm. grandson definitely doesn't after my mm. day with him yesterday. He has no sense of, but he's doing wrong. But yes. he, yeah, yeah. There's that little bit of cheekiness in him. But I don't, I can't imagine God no. holding a child accountable. Mm. At some point, there has to be a sense in which we know mm. or we should know and we refuse to know. Our mm. conscience kicks in mm. and we go, and God's given us a conscience. Mm. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer, no. but I think the problem is we have tried to apply this one-size-fits-all answer yeah. to uh, what happens to people who have never heard about Jesus. Mm. What about kids? What about a, a, mm. a person that's um, you know, mentally, mm. um, you know, you know, someone, yeah. someone who is mentally incapable? Yes. Yeah. You know, what happens there? Yeah. I think it's worth just realizing it's much more, is my word, nuanced to that. Yeah, yeah. I think where my brain goes, um, and this may be take down the wrong rabbit hole, but just there, there may be in our culture and our thing you know, that we um, we have so much emphasis on um, deciding to do something, like by an act of our will. Yep. Um, and it's almost like we, maybe we elevate our, our will and our decision to do something above God's grace. Yeah. Coming back to God's grace. Yep. Um, Cause as we go on, you know, that whole idea of no one is good. Yes. That's know. right. That's going to come out. Isn't yeah. It? But yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, thanks for unpacking that. I know yeah. where you're going. Yeah. Um, it, it does. Then... I'm glad that you asked me to unpack it because I was <laughs> trying to put it in words in a short time frame. but yeah, it's, it's worth bringing into the mix. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I won't, I won't let us down that rabbit hole. So good conversations. That. Maybe a Q&A episode yeah, of that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. will come in. All right. We're going to move to uh, John 10. 10. So John 10. Mine's titled The Ideal Shepherd at the beginning and then it goes on to The Good Shepherd. And um, so as I was reading this, I was making notes um, and the first one was verse one where he's talking about um, the sheep pen and the door. And so my question was like, well, what is the pen and, you know, or the, you know, the sheep pen, not um, writing pen. What is the door? And then it goes on to say Jesus is the door yeah. as well. It's and a bit so, cryptic, isn't it? Yeah. So there's this idea of, Jesus being a shepherd, but also being a door. Um, how have you understood this idea of the sheep pen? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, have you got any thoughts around uh, that? Uh, let me tell you what I've learned, or maybe Bible college or somewhere I've heard it over the years. So this is what I've learned and bibed. I couldn't name sources for it. My understanding is that John 10 will be understood best if we understand a little bit about ancient shepherd practices. Mm-hmm. So they're often young boys, shepherds. 
and uh, the sheep would all be on the hill together. All the different flocks would be on the hill mm-hmm. together, and each night, uh, and but the shepherd would know the sheep. Mm-hmm. The sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice. Yep. So that's going to come up in a moment too. Mm-hmm. And that each night they'd bring them off the hills, mm-hmm. and they had a a sheep pen was usually just um, a series of rocks that they had built mm-hmm. or some kind of stone wall mm-hmm. that they would build that. That those sheep would go in and the shepherd would generally lay across the door, mm-hmm. across the entranceway mm. as a protection. Mm. So the shepherd would become the door. Right. And that they would lay across their sheep would be inside that fold, inside that pen. Mm-hmm. And that then when the sheep, at the, when the morning comes, the sheep would go out, mm-hmm. send them out. They would go out onto the hills and mingle with all the other flocks. And then at nighttime, the shepherd would say, um, you know, call, yep. the, call the sheep. They would know their voice and they would come back in through him mm-hmm. and he would be there as the door. Right. So if we understand that analogy, mm. John 10 actually makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So, um, but moving deeper though, like um, on a, let's say, spiritual level, yep. what does the pen represent for us? Oh, you're getting deep now. <laughs> well, I think... I understand that in terms of, let's say, protection um, yep. and the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice yep. and and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, this. how do we understand the pen... Let's have a look I at using the word pen because it sounds like pencil. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. On. So where about what verse are we in? Let's have a look. Uh, right at the top. So chapter 10. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall yep, like of a, a sheepfold mm. rather than going through the gate must be a robber. Mm. Okay. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Because mm. it actually gets confusing here because I think it says, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. That's everything I just mm, said. Mm. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Mm. So come on out of here. Yes. After yep. he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them because they know his voice. Mm. They won't follow a stranger. They will run to him. Mm. Uh, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. <laughs> so we're a good right. company. Okay, good. They didn't get it either. Yes. It says in verse six. Yeah, true. So he explained to them, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Mm. Okay. So they didn't get it either. So I guess... I've not really given it some thought. Yeah, I was going to say, it's okay if you don't get it either. No, no, yeah. it's okay if we don't get it either. But yeah. it's, I, I've not given thought as to whether or not the, there's a metaphorical analogy yeah, maybe to there the isn't. pen. Maybe I'm going too deep. Uh, the sheepfold. I think there's, well, there's got to be something there because he's talking about robbers coming into it. Yep. Um, I Yeah, I, I think my – I tend to go towards like the Christian faith or church or something, but I, I don't know if that's – I don't know if that's right. Yeah, I just don't, I don't. As in, that's what the fold is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's where I would have gone. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying is, though, you know, there's safety in numbers. There's safety inside. Yeah. I, I suspect, I suspect it might be more around the rela- a relationship with Jesus, just mm. being in com- community and un- unity with Jesus. Because mm. if we if we step up out of this view, what's what's the point of this good shepherd mm. passage? It's Jesus trying to say, "I'm the good shepherd." Yeah. Um, you need to know me. Yes. There's safety in knowing me. If you're in a relationship with me and I know you and you know me, that's mm. where your safety will be. That's where I'll bring you into a place of protection. Mm. Um, you'll come in through me. You can go out and enjoy green mm. pastures and so on. So there's this coming and going analogy. Yeah. yeah. It's not that we say that there isn't safety in the church and that we shouldn't be part of the body of Christ. I think that mm. that analogy is all over the New Testament. Mm. Um, but I reckon it's I reckon it's going to be more just around this picture of Jesus bringing us to safety. Yeah. Okay. Is that oversimplistic? 
No, no, I, no. I mean, my I then go well. Okay, so then who are the thieves and robbers? You know, and it may be simplistic to go. Well, it's Satan, and you know. Uh, yeah, well, this is the passage where he actually, you know, talks about the hired hand and the good shepherd. And, yes, and of course, you know, um, you know, the, specifically saying the thief comes to steal mm. and kill and destroy, and we automatically assume mm. that is yeah. Satan. Yes, yeah, as the enemy, which does make sense. But I, I just, yeah, I almost just don't want to. Just I think I want to dig a deep. Not now, but yeah. dig deeper into into it, that. I wonder if it's worth taking. I don't think I've ever heard this, but I reckon it'd be interesting to do a study and compare John ten with Ezekiel thirty seven, which mm-hmm. is the Ezekiel's woe to the ship, woe to the shepherds of Israel, right? Who um, are supposed to care for the flock and they don't. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if this is. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Wonder if this should be as a, as a shepherd myself, that mm. should be a call on me. Mm. A chal- this scripture should challenge me a little to think about what to what motives do I have mm. for caring for my sheep? Yeah, what are my reasons? Am I am I a shepherd who's just in it for the money? Yeah. Well, by the way, guys, you you don't go into pastoring for the money, but you know, am I a shepherd for the pro yes. or for the, or yeah, whatever, yeah, or yeah. am I a shepherd that genuinely cares yeah. for the sheep? Yeah, because I think it, it linked to I think it's thirty seven is equal thirty seven. It would be interesting to do that. Mm. Okay. Maybe someone could do that for us. Yeah, cool. Verse thirty four. I've got a bit confusing. So, where are we? He's at the temple now, and they're crying out to him, saying, "If you are really the Son of God, tell us." Yes. Which is interesting because we go ask the question as he said the son of God. And he says, I already have told you, you didn't listen. Yes. But he's trying to tell them in a different way. He's not standing up. Yes. So Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your scripture? He, interesting. Uh, yes. He refers to their scripture. Yep. Because he's quoting scripture. Yep. I guess he would believe as well and yep. take a scripture. I said you are gods. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a confusing one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he called those whom the word of God came to gods and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say... You are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God. Um, so he does sort of say that, yeah, calls himself a Son of God-ish there. Um, anyway, yes, yes. That's probably lot. as close as you're going to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. And once um, again, this is John's gospel. So he, he, John's trying to make a point here. Yeah. So any thoughts on that uh, where he's talking to them about you are gods. Yeah. You are gods. I know there's a, it's a reference back to Psalm 82. I think it is. Yeah. Um, there, there is lots of different perspectives on this. I think the prevailing perspective at the time is informed. I've said this on a few podcasts that there was a, there was a religious book that's in the Apocrypha called the book of Enoch, Mm -hmm. which is actually quoted a couple of times in the new Testament, Jude and Jude and Peter quoted, I think. Mm. Um, it's not an it's not it's not a historical book. It was written written in the intertestamental period, but it it has a lot to say. It informs the spirituality of the time, mm. and it would have been very much what they were talking about. And I think there, um, Psalm eighty two is referring to um, the, the spiritual council, right? Um, that that God has got a, a spiritual council in heaven and a, a spiritual council on the earth. Mm. Um, the humans on the earth are the government governing authority on the earth. And then there's this heavenly council of beings. And so um, I think if I'm going to look at it, I think Psalm 82 is actually, I did read it. It didn't really, it's talking about the angels, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not sure. It, it, it didn't help. No, <laughs> it, put it that way. No, yeah. it's, it's not some, um, we would have to do, a significant Bible study yeah, on it. That's okay. and, and even if we did, um, there will be different views on yeah, it. Yeah. Psalm 82, God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on heavenly beings. Mm. How long, he's talking to the heavenly beings here and he's saying to those guys, 
you, I wanted you to judge justly and you've done the opposite. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to give justice to the poor. So there's this prevailing view here is who is he talking? Psalm 82 talking to the heavenly mm-hmm. beings, the angels, mm-hmm. the demons, or is Psalm 82 talking to the ruling authorities on the earth? Yeah. And they're supposed to be that. And he's just ah, quoting great. the scripture and it says in there, I, verse six, I say you are gods. You mm-hmm. are all children of the most high. Mm. This is why I'm saying it's a confusing passage because there's a different perspective about what this psalm was writing about. It's right. one of the more confusing psalms. Mm. It's worth digging into. Yeah. yeah. Not now. No. Because <laughs> uh, it would require a, yeah. a study on its own. And, and might just end up being more confusing. It, and it probably would be. We yeah. would not do it justice in real time. No. I would, the way I'd study a passage like this would be multiple podcasts, multiple yep. commentaries, yeah. and I'd lose you in the context. Of, I'd lose all our listeners. They'd be out of it. But, no, but it's enough. worth digging into. It's one of these more confusing passages, and yeah. I don't presume to have all the answers. The idea of this podcast isn't to give all the answers. It's to let you know there are confusing passages. Yeah, it makes it confusing in my, in my translation too because it's in bold. I said you are gods, and there's not really anything else. There's not very many times they've bolded something, so I don't know anyway. Maybe it's just, yes, there's nothing. Well, yeah, I don't know why they bolded it. No. Um, yeah, so it's one of those ones. Dig into it. Yeah. Um, do your research. Pull out a few commentaries. Mm. Look for different responses. Um, you'll get different perspectives on this. Yeah. You'll get the the main question is, who is Psalm 82 talking to? Is it talking mm. to the humans mm. or is it talking to the angels? Yeah. And then what is Jesus trying to say by using this psalm yeah. when he is t- telling those around him? I think what Jesus is trying to say just bring it back to what his point probably is there is he's trying to say, look, if God is prepared to elevate you, mm. elevate humans to the point where they are like the Elohim, mm. like the spiritual beings, if God is prepared to elevate every human to that point, mm. why are you so surprised if I claim to be yes. at that point? Too? Yes. Yeah. Cause they're trying to water down his authority yes. and he's trying to claim yes. that authority. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think that's probably that's enough for me. That's to, enough for now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. No, I, I can. I can. We got there. Yeah, yeah. Bit of wrestling I with can, it. I can feast on that for a little okay, bit. Okay, cool. Uh, so, do you want to move to John eleven? John eleven. So, moving to John eleven. Um, this is the story of Lazarus. It's a big one. Yes. Uh, so just to keep things moving, uh, verse four is what I've noted here. Um, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God. So Lazarus being sick, um, so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Kind of almost ties back to the the blind man man a little bit, isn't it? Um, yeah, but again, interesting for me, um, this idea of Jesus, um, view of death seems different perhaps to ours. And even later on, he says, oh yeah, Lazarus is asleep. Mm. And they're like, no, he's not asleep. He's, he's, he's dead. He's actually yes. dead. He's been dead for four days yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, I just found that interesting this, that perhaps our concept of death, and maybe this comes back again to um, the womb that we were talking about in Psalm 139 and, and Sheol and, and all those sort of things. Um, yeah, this sickness will not end in death, but it does end in death. So he's saying to them, it won't end in death, but it does end in death. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yep. So but I would say the point is death isn't the end. Yes. I would say... When Jesus says this, 
doesn't end in death. It doesn't seem it won't go through death. No. But it'll come out the other side. All right. Yes. Death is not final. Yes. You said what did you say? And I think Jesus has a different view of death. I think that's the well, difference. Yeah. Maybe just a a bigger view of a death. A bigger view of death. Yeah. The death is actually we tend a to stop think- on the journey rather than the end of the journey. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm getting at. Yeah. This whole idea of at least for me, um, death just seems so final. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And yet, obviously, and we know obviously with the resurrection and things that for Jesus it's not the end. It's a good way of putting it is passing through. Yes. It's, it's like a, a stop on the journey. Yeah. And perhaps maybe that's also tied in with baptism that we we die to ourselves. We die in the, symbolically in the waters, those, yep. those you know, scary yep. waters. And That's a great thought. Yeah, and we're raised and this whole idea of, yeah, death being something that we pass through, yeah. not something that ends the journey. And I think the metaphor that Revelation picks up and it says that in the end death is thrown into the lake of yes, fire yeah. is supposed to show that that um, it's death that dies. Yes, that's right. You know? Yeah. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting? Mm. Where, O death, is your victory? Mm. Because there's this sense of death is a step on this journey yeah. for the believer. Yeah. yeah. And in some ways, you know, not to get too rabbit trail, but, th- you know, we are – we we are to pick up our cross and and to die daily. Die daily. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And, and so it's almost like Jesus is just here to help us die. Yep. He is because yeah. we are called to follow him yeah. through death. Yes. Into life. Yeah. True life is actually found on the other side of death. Mm. Both death as in the John three born again, mm. death, you said the baptism, mm. death to our old nature mm. to bring about true life and ultimately one day having its final fulfillment. Mm. Like that's like a down of the new kingdom, but mm. one day having its final fulfillment in a complete yeah. death to death. Yeah. Yeah. And ties in again, you know, with this idea of sacrifice too, mm. with, you know, um, choosing to die. Mm. As a parent, you choose to die yep. for the good of your children, not not necessarily physically or literally, yeah. Yeah. but, you know, I don't want to get up at 3 a.m. to no. help you put your sock back on. No. Um, but, you know, at the same time, and a good marriage is, is, is a mutual, is mutual death dying. to your own desires. Yeah. That's right. And that's the kingdom life. Mm. That's 100%. That's yeah. the upside down kingdom of God. Yes. Love yeah. your enemies. You know, yeah. do good to those who persecute you. Mm. It's, it's the upside down yeah. kingdom of God. When the, the message is humans eat from the tree, which is I'm going to look after myself. Mm. Jesus says, no, no, it's the mm. opposite of that. Yeah. You want to live my kind of life, you give up your life. Yeah. 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 Cool. 100%. That's great. Love it. Um, and then, yeah, verses 33 to 35. Oh, yeah, I just have here strange range of emotions for Jesus. Yeah. So um, just to give the listeners... Um, Got the shortest verse in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Jesus saw her crying. Um, this is, I think, Mary. Um, yep, I think it's Mary. About it? her brother dying. Yep. And the Jews who had come with her were also crying. He was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Mm. So this kind of um, anger and weeping, at the same yeah, time. anger, anger and weeping, and even this idea of him being angry at them crying, you know, in one sense you're like, well, is he angry at them for cr- because they are crying because they have no faith? Uh, I see. Well, I'm I'm not saying that that is what it is, but no, I don't think that's of, what it is. No, that's where you kind of. I think his anger is at death. To be honest, yeah, cool. But then, yeah, going straight from. And I know I have definitely in my own life, in my range of emotions, have been 
extremely angry about something that would lead me to tears mm. within a moment yeah, because sure. uh, it's almost like the anger is um, a response to the injustice mm-hmm. and the grief that I might feel at the injustice. And once I've sort of expressed kind of like what Dave was doing in those Psalms, once I've expressed that anger and that, um, that deep rage of emotions, then tears, then the disappointment and the, disappointment the grief sets in and the sadness yeah, yeah, right, come in. Right, yeah. Um, and again, it's kind of fascinating because Jesus knows that he's going to ri- raise Lazarus. Yes. So there's this tension it's of like... It's a strange story in it's that really, way. It is really weird. It's almost like you'd expect Jesus to go, guys, Party just, time. Just, just give me a couple clap, of minutes. Slap the light. Four minutes yeah. from now, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, just exactly. calm down. Yeah, totally. So there is something more going on here For sure. than that. And we know, you know, famously that this is the shortest verse in the Bible. It Jesus is. Jesus wept. wept. I think... Um, I think because, you know, when he comes to Jair- raise Jairus' daughter, he actually has that mentality. He goes, mm. Take, send away yeah, the yeah, yeah. professional mourners. It's all going to be okay. Yeah, so yeah. there's more going on in this story because mm. this this seems to be indicating something different. I think the gospel writer John wants us to see Jesus experiencing the full range of emotion, mm. that he is a human being. Mm. And I think he wants us to realize that I think, this is how I've read it. I could be wrong, but I've read it as when confronted with death, Jesus gets mad. Mm-hmm. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Mm. This is the mess that, humanity has caused itself. This is the result of human, mm. uh, you know, death and, and sin. Mm. So he's angry at sin. He's angry at death. Yes. Um, and he's incredibly compassionate towards those. Mm. And the, his weeping seems to me to be uh, going out. It seems to be a weeping of empathy. Mm. He sees the deep pain that Mary and Martha yes. are in. Yeah. Even though he knows he's about to raise. Mm. And he goes on and says, you know, didn't I say, if you mm. just believe me, you'll see. Yeah. The miracle. Yeah. But he's in that moment. Yeah. And interesting Jesus though. Jesus is in the moment with us. On that point where you say the the empathy um, that he's, he's showing with his weeping, um, the Jews say, see how he loved him. Yeah. And so they're kind of reading that as he's weeping over Lazarus. He's weeping over Lazarus. Not over Mary and Martha's no. grief. No. And, and I think he is. I think he's, mm. he's saddened that Lazarus has had to go through yes. this. I think he's, yeah. I think there's this, I think the enemy is death in this situation. Mm. The story, the story starts with, you know, he's he's saying in this story that um, this has happened, yeah. that the the Son of Man would be glorified. John eleven is is the pivotal chapter mm. in the Gospel of John. Mm. Everything that is going to happen after this is as a result of this. Right. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is what's according to John's way is what starts the religious elite mm. on their journey. Right. To throw to, yeah, to they kill start Jesus. freaking out about him, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they freak out about Lazarus. Well, mm. now we're in real trouble because yeah. every, everyone's flocking to him. Mm. This is a pivotal John 11. John wants you to think that John, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, mm. is like Jesus picking a fight, right? So the other gospels use the overthrow the the overthrow of the temple, mm. the turning of the tables, right. the whip and all that yep. as Jesus picking a fight. Picking a fight. Mm. And they put that story at the beginning of the Passion Week. Right. Which launches the antagonism against Jesus. Mm. John actually puts that story right back at the beginning of his ministry. Mm. Now you can get into the argument about where it's meant to be or did it happen twice yep. and scholars do that. I don't think that's the point. Mm. I think the point is John wants you to realize that the the raising of Lazarus was Jesus picking a fight with mm. with death 
and with everything. And he was actually, this was going to lead him to death mm. because he knew the only way to ultimately become, as he calls himself, the resurrection and the life mm. was for him to go through death himself mm. and bring resurrection. Mm. So when Jesus says, this is going to bring the glory, this is going to be the glorification of mm. me and through me, everyone else. That's, that's the point of this story. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder too, if like Jesus in his humanity, as he's looking at this, you know, grave, if there's something kind of triggers in him about what he's about to about go what through, he's about to I, go I through. think that's and that knowing that he is perhaps great. picking a fight. Yep. But it's like, oh yeah, now the there's no turning back from in. here. Yeah. I reckon that's a really mm. good thought. I mean, that's almost like it's almost like you think he's having because when when else do we see him weeping mm. in the Garden of Gethsemane yes. in the Synoptic Gospel? Yeah. So this is that's wow, that's a good thought. Mm. This could be like a Gethsemane moment. Yeah. Him. This is a pre. There's no going a pre. There's mm. no going back now. Yes. Interesting. This is. This is it. If I pick this fight mm. with death, mm. I'm going to have to go through death myself yes. to, to win this. Yeah. Wow. And again, if you want to take the analogy further, again, like we just said, he knows that he's going to rise, uh, raise Lazarus. He mm. also knows that he's going to be risen, but there's still the the tension of like, it's still not going to be a pleasant experience. It's still experience. not going to be a pleasant He's going to have to go, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm, that's cool. Oh, this is why I love doing conversations with people because I've never, yeah. that, you've just brought up something that's just... Yeah. A couple of times today, there's just been stuff and you've gone, wow. Oh, that's cool. So good, mate. Yeah, that's likewise, a great thought. Likewise. pursuing. Uh, so, yeah, that was probably, that leads us to the end of... John 11. Yeah, unless you had anything else you wanted to no, pull out no, from we, that. No, no, we're doing well. Um, and then the last reading was the Hebrews 4. The Hebrews 4. So the final reading was Hebrews chapter four. Uh, the two titles that I have in my Bible are the promise rest and our great high priest. Yep. So uh, verses one through to 13, um, there's some, you know, things where I swear in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Um, and then this idea of uh, God resting on the seventh day from all his works. Um, but then again, in verse five, it says, they will never enter my rest. <laughs> Um, today, <laughs> talk about confusing. Yeah, mate. yeah, totally. Um, and then pulling out um, David after such a long time as previously stated, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Um, and then talks about Joshua. Um, yeah, so. One I of the things that's hard about the book of Hebrews for us, mm -hmm. that it was written to Hebrews, mm -hmm. to Jewish people mm -hmm. who were had been raised and stooped in the Old Testament. Yes, yeah. So for us, they they are intuitively mm. picking up these references and yeah. these you know sub references that we aren't getting. Yes. So yeah. when it comes to reading the book of Hebrews, you do need have to the mind of read. A Hebrew. It. You have mm. to have the mind of a Hebrew. You have mm. to slow down. You have to look at your cross references. Mm. You have to listen to people unpacking the culture. Mm. It will help you to understand yes. it. It's there. It just have, we have to mine for it a little bit harder than the Hebrews would have for at sure. the time. Yeah, but then obviously they would have known about the concept of the high priest. Yes, very much so. And and the great high priest. And so uh, in verse 14 saying, we have we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens um, and passed through death too, as we just discussed, um, and that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, that um, he's been tested in every way and yet without sin. And then we can approach the throne of grace, that whole concept of grace, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really have any major questions there, but if you wanted to... Oh, well, let's just, for a few moments out. before we close, we'll just unpack this 
what is this high priest mm. component about here? So this is a direct comparison between the Jewish high priest, mm. who at the time of Jesus, especially wasn't at the time wasn't wasn't really a model high priest. No. They were uh, they were in it for themselves, mm. as they often were. They were power hungry and so on. But he's he's modelling the intention of the original high priest Aaron and what mm. Moses said in the law about this high priest that this person would stand in the gap. Mm. This person was supposed to be um, able to identify. I was just doing it in my. I'm in Leviticus at the moment this morning in the uh, in my in my Bible reading. I'm mm. in the whole infectious skin mm. diseases, bodily mm. fluids, and molds yes, <laughs> section, lovely. which can be a bit heavy. Mm. But this uh, there's something in there about the high priest. Um, have to present mm. sin offering for themselves. Yes. So there's a sense in which that, that priest stood in the gap, mm. but was themselves um, also frail. Mm. So they were aware of their own frailty. They had to present um, sin offerings mm. for themselves before they could represent them. And what the writer to the Hebrews is wanting to do here is com- contrast everything that was going on in the tabernacle with mm. the high priest and in the temple mm. with what Jesus actually did as the great high priest. He is the, the priest over the high priest, yeah. if you like. Yeah. And so if we look at it that way, it says, we have a great high priest. That's another level. The, the Old Testament high priest is never called a great no. high priest. This is the one that's over the high priest. Mm. And instead of going into the temple, this one, this mm. great high priest has actually gone into heaven himself, mm. gone into heaven itself. And this high priest, just like the human priest, it's not, it's not that he doesn't understand. It's not that he can't understand our weaknesses because mm. we can think of Jesus and think, well, Jesus doesn't get it because mm. he's perfect. Mm. And the writer's trying to let you say he understands. He, he's been through testings. Mm. If you've been through testings and temptations, Jesus can adequately mm. intercede for you mm. because he gets it. He's been through those temptings in the desert and in the wilderness and so on. And it's because we have this high priest that now we have a confidence mm. to come. And it's wanting to contrast for you and I, there was a, a fear associated with going to the high priest. Mm. Would God accept my offering? Mm. Um, would God accept my heart? There was this reticence mm. to come. Mm. But what he's trying to say is, friends, Yes, you might be sinners. Yes, you might you might fail, mm. but Jesus gets your weaknesses mm. and you can come boldly. The yep. key word is let's come boldly, or I think the NIV says confidently, mm. to the throne of our gracious God. Mm. That statement alone is worth parking on. Mm. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Because we come timidly mm. or we come fearfully. Oh, will God accept me? Yes, because Jesus is your high priest, because he accepts you, you can come boldly. Mm. You can walk into, contrast it with Esther, who couldn't go into the king's mm. t- palace without the golden scepter. The picture is we have always got the golden scepter. Mm. We, Because of what Jesus has done, no matter what you're facing, no matter what needs you're going through, you don't have to come fearfully as though, will God accept me? Mm. Because you're in Jesus, you can come boldly and confidently. You're like, you're like the... Think of it like the child that, that thinks it's perfectly normal to go into the fridge mm. and eat whatever they want out of the fridge. Mm. You know why? Because they live in their father's house yeah, yeah. or their mother's house. Yeah. You know that's that's mm. the picture that he wants you to get. You don't have to come. Oh no, I'm going to be in fear of judgment. No, mm. you're a little child, like or running up to Santa's lap. It's that whole concept of come, mm. come boldly, come confidently. Yeah, I've heard the analogy of um, like a prime minister's son. Yes. You know, yep. coming into the the office yep. where most people would be coming in timidly yep. or you know respectfully yep. or whatever. There was this. I was going to say there's a scene in the movie Lincoln mm. that this scripture. I was watching it in the cinema. I mm. have to go back years ago, but I, from memory, 
you know, Lincoln was in a, in a conversation, Abe Lincoln was in a conversation with all these elite and he, I think it was his son or someone came in through the side door mm. and just rushed in. And mm. it was like, that was it. Yeah. That's the picture right yeah. there. Yes. They can come boldly. Mm. God's never too busy for us. Mm. And it says we will receive mercy and find grace mm. to help us in our time of need. Mm. So the mercy, this is another level because the throne that is referred to, there we will receive mercy. Let us come before the throne of our gracious God in my version. Did you say throne of grace? Uh, mine says, yes, throne of grace. Throne of grace. Yes. Okay. So this is another Hebrew analogy that's mm. helpful to get. In the Old Testament, the mercy seat was mm. God's throne. Mm. So that, that gold lid yep. on the ark with mm. the cherubim, mm. that was called God's throne. That was mm. the place where God dwelt. Mm. It's called a throne of mercy, mm. the mercy seat. Yes. The Hebrews writers picks up on this mm. and says, in God's presence, you don't just get mercy, mm. you get mercy and grace. And yes. the old analogy that says mercy is not getting what we deserve, mm. that's true. Mm. That's, if you show mercy, it's you deserve to be punished and you're not. Yep. But what we have available to us through Jesus, friends, is more than just mercy. It's actually grace. It's mm. over and above. Yep. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mm. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Yes. And what the, that's the offer that you have as a follower of Jesus, not just to be forgiven mm. and wiped clean, but actually to be empowered now mm. with all of heaven's richness. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I reckon it's worth parking on that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when, you, when you're facing troubles, God's not out there to get you. Mm. He's not God in heaven with a stick. Yeah. He's saying, come on, come on in, come mm. boldly. Mm. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when we're just talking about the Hebrew mind and looking at, um, sort of reading or listening with the Hebrew mind, the idea of um, God, I guess, for a lot of those Israelites that had sort of um, seen the plagues yep. and then they'd heard stories of plagues, they'd heard story of the Passover, which is quite a traumatic thing to have to process for another time. And then, you know, this tabernacle and this idea of in some ways it being like, a big bug zapper, you know, yes. you, if you come with a, an unclean heart or... I like it, a what, bug zapper. You yeah, know, that's right. Yeah, I'll borrow that from someone else. But yeah, yeah. Um, just that whole idea of like um, electricity is how yeah. it's sort of... It's 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 holy. Yes. It, it, well, I, I've referred numbers of times to how in the Bible project and in one of the earlier mm. videos, the holy video, they talk about it like the sun. It's incredibly mm. life-giving but incredibly dangerous yes, at yes, the same time. And yeah. that's what you're saying, a bug zapper. Same as electricity, right? Electricity, fire, yeah. It can be good, whatever. all yes. those analogies. Yes. Good but dangerous. Exactly. Yes. And so they've sort of that, – that would be very, I would imagine, ingrained in their Yeah, it's like they go, they go of to God. offer it. Oh, I've received mercy. I can go now. Yes. I can get away from this presence because yes. <laughs> yes. I needed to go but I need – yeah. That's yeah. almost fear-based narrative rather than For sure. confidence-based narrative. Yeah. And so this whole idea of entering with boldness um, because of what Jesus has, has accomplished, yeah. Um, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Well, why don't you pray for us around that sure. as okay. we finish off, Simon? That'd be great. All right. Well, yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a good God. And sometimes we have to work hard to see your goodness, both um, as we look at Scripture and as we look at our lives and the lives of peoples around us. But we affirm and we declare and we believe that you are such a good God and we thank you for this time. And we ask that everything that we've um, discussed um, that's of you would just be watered and, mm. and would grow. And anything that is just out of fleshly, you know, fleshliness or something that's that's not of you, then would you just allow that to dissolve? Yes, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness. And we just ask a blessing on those that are listening and those that aren't. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Simon, for, for being me. with me. I reckon we'll get you back. Day. We reckon yeah. we'll get you back. We've got more to talk about, but awesome. appreciate you coming. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We'll see you on the next one. All right. Peace out.